This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com. One of the things that's difficult for us as we read Malachi is for us to really understand it. It's a very difficult book not just to understand because of its words, but because of its context. Uh, it's very different culture, a different background, uh, a, a, a totally different era or generation. It is so far back that so often it's hard for us to understand. But these things become just as difficult because it's hard for us to read on this side of the cross, on the other side of the cross. Because here's what happens, and I, I need you to say amen to this. Jesus changes everything. I'm going to say it again, give you another chance to get an amen in there. Jesus changes everything. And so we have to listen to and see Malachi with different ears and eyes. Church, this is an opportunity for us to read into this old covenant through a new covenant lens, and we cannot try to get around Jesus. And today is going to give us an incredible opportunity, but I want us to remember as we approach a text like this, we should have confidence in the work of Jesus, but we should be very humble. Our hearts should be soft. We should come with a heart of repentance. Repentance is we don't want to repeat. We have a tendency to repeat and not repent. But repenting is turning from and turning towards. So in repentance, remember, it's not just stopping. It's turning towards and trusting in the work of Jesus. I'm going to ask you to flex something this morning that maybe you don't usually flex, and that's your imagination. Uh, We come to church, and often we want to use our minds and kind of try to understand or intellectually understand Scripture, but we don't often approach Scripture trying to use our imagination. Could I encourage you that maybe because we have cut off our imagination and creativity, often it's hard for us to understand a text because we're constantly trying to understand intellectually what's happening rather than trying to enter into through our imagination of what is happening. Malachi is a very covenantal book. So I want you to imagine, and this is going to be, I know, really hard for all of you. I want you to imagine being in a really difficult relationship, and I know all of you have incredible relationships in here. I want you to imagine being in a a really difficult relationship and you in this relationship, because I know this is all, you are like the perfect one in the relationship. Can you get an amen? You're the one who is fully committed, fully in love, fully desiring for this relationship to work. You are all in. But the one you are in love with is doing you real dirty, okay? That's the the best way I can describe. I mean, they are uh, really messing with this relationship. They are cheating on you. They're lying to you. They're constantly playing games with this relationship, and you still love them. Everybody around you is, why in the world would you still be with him? I I don't know. I still love him. 
And so, in this relationship, you go to him. You go into the relationship and you say, look, I love you. You're about to confront some things and you say, I love you so much. And and his response is a, a smirk on his face. He says, how? Now, all of a sudden, you feel like you're on trial. Rather than able to confront some things that's happening in him, you feel like you're on trial because he's a, how have you loved me? And, and, and you start going, well, well, what do you mean, how have I loved you? I've chosen you above everybody else. I could have gone and, and, and had anybody, but I, I chose you above everybody else, and I've stayed committed to you, and I've protected you, and, I've, and you go down the line. You, you give all of these answers, and, and then finally you switch it, and, and you say, listen, listen, you've been playing games with me. And your spouse or the one you're in relationship with says to you, how have I been playing games how have I been playing games with you? <laughs> and you start giving example after, you've been playing games, what do you mean? You've been, you've been cheating on me. You've been giving your best to everybody else. Everything, you're just giving me scraps and leftovers and, and, and we're just barely hanging on. You have been out there hustling, running around, doing everything for everybody else and you have not been in this relationship You say, you've been disrespecting me. You haven't been honoring me. And they go, how have I been doing that? (laughs) It reminds me, if you will, of that Shaggy song. I've never heard it. I just heard it existed. Where he keeps saying, it wasn't me. He's caught red-handed, and I won't give you the whole lyrics there. You can, don't, I wouldn't even encourage you to go read it. He's caught red-handed doing everything. He's caught red-handed, and every time he's caught and confronted, he just keeps saying, it wasn't me. It wasn't me. No matter how much evidence, no matter how much is seen, it wasn't me. For some of you, you don't even have to really use your imagination because this is real life for you. You know what it's like to be in a relationship with somebody who you love deeply and every time you try to help them, confront them, call them back into the relationship, their response is deny, deny, deny. Pretend and fake and act like you crazy. Y'all are quiet this morning. Maybe you just are those people. (laughs) But there's a classic next step. After you've confronted, after you've given examples, after they deny, after they pretend, after they talk, there is a classic next step. And I think you know that next step. You know the next step that is coming before it actually comes. Let's stand together and read Malachi chapter 2. Verse 17, 3 through, five, through 3, 5. And remember, this is the word of the Lord. You have wearied the Lord with your words. 
But you say, how have I wearied him? By saying, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Or by asking, where is the God of justice? Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare a way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming, and who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire, like a fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner, a purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. And they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as the day of old and as the former years. Then I will draw near to you for judgment. And I will be swift, I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress hired workers in their wages, the widows and the fatherless, against those who trust, those who thrust aside the sojourner. And do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. I wanted to read it because I wanted you to see the very classic next step. You know the next move in this argument. The next move when you have said, I love you. What, how have you loved me? And, and then, yeah, look at all these things. I, I haven't really done any of that. What are you talking about? You crazy. The next move in this argument is for that one to turn the argument back on you. Now their very next move is to say, you're the one who's treating everybody better than me. And you're the one who's doing injustice. You're the one who's treating people unfairly. You are not good and you are unfair. All of a sudden, the argument switches from how do we deal with the sin in their heart and being confronted, it moves from deny, deny, deny to you're the problem. Maybe none of you have ever been in this argument before. Maybe none of you have ever used this move before. When when all of a sudden you are being exposed, your best cover-up move is to turn it back on them. And all of a sudden this thing moves from, no, God, it's your fault. You're treating everybody else better than me, and you're not being fair. You ever used this argument, but I want you to notice something interesting. This time in verse 17, he says something very interesting. You have wearied the Lord with your words. Have you ever been in a fight so long that you stop caring who's right? You're just tired of fighting. Y'all are quiet this morning. 
I can already tell I'm getting no help this morning from you all. Help me, Jesus. I need you. It's interesting when I first read this text and saw that he starts with saying, the Lord is getting weary with your arguments and your words. I immediately thought of Isaiah 40 where it says, the Lord never wearies. He never tires. And I thought, man, that's an interesting use of words because he's actually showing that the Lord in and of himself is so sufficient. He, he, he doesn't sleep. He doesn't grow weary. It's not based upon his work that he tires. He's not overworking. But he has so entered into a covenant with us that he has entered into the weariness of our relationship. He has taken on, if you will, this incarnational reality of entering so deeply into a covenant relationship with us that it is in this arguing that he begins to tire, not of himself, but tire of our words. Here's, here's where God's tiredness comes from. His weariness comes from the use of arguing and turning it back on him and blaming him. All of this arguing and blaming is only so you can continue to pretend and mask your own heart. This is where the weariness comes from. Notice that the weariness doesn't come from their sin. The weariness doesn't come from their activity. The weariness doesn't come from their brokenness. The weariness doesn't come from how, how messed up they are. The weariness comes from their pretending and their masking. Church, this is very consistent with God all the way through. From the beginning, from original sin, when he comes into the garden and they're hiding and pretending and covering themselves, he confronts, where are you? Why are you hiding from me? Who told you? Notice he begins to confront their covering of themselves all the way through the Old Testament. He's constantly confronting, why are you hiding? Why are you pretending? Why is it that you put on these masks? What is it that makes you just keep yourself protected? Jesus, when he comes into the world, continues to confront the weak weirdest of people, he actually confronts the religious more than he confronts the broken. Those who put masks on, those who play a game, those who love to argue and debate, those who go, tell me, what is a neighbor? Who actually is your neighbor? You keep using this word neighbor. Technically, who is the neighbor? People who just love to argue. None of you. None of you love to argue. <laughs> None of you love just the debate. None of you love the fact of going, oh, got me on that one. Let's switch the argument now. 
Those who would try constantly to catch Jesus in his words. Those who loved to have good articulation or good words all so they could mask the reality of their hearts. It's tiring about, hey, listen, basically, God is saying, y'all are wearing me out with your words. You see, what you have to see about the consistency of Scripture, you can see it in the New Covenant, you can see it in the Old Covenant, is this. When we give God only our words or religious behaviors and not our hearts, we're actually withholding from Him what He actually wants. Church, this reality is tiresome. He is after our hearts, and we continue to present to him our words, our arguments, and our religion. Now, let's just get real for a moment. I don't know who I'm talking to, but I guarantee you I'm talking to myself. But I know this. Hear me on this. He's tired of you playing games with him. It's not even how broken you are. It's that you keep walking around acting like you ain't. It's not even the fact how much you need him. It's that you walk around operating like you have no need for him. And every time in love he confronts your heart, you mask it with all of your busyness. I'm just busy. I'm doing other things. And he goes, you call it busyness. I call it giving your best to everything else except for me. Y'all are quiet this morning. I get it. I get it. He's looking at your heart, and you're trying to cover it. I get it. You can feel the eyes of the Spirit on you, and you're going, is he talking to me? I have no clue who I'm talking to. All I know is this is for me. Church, the reality is your games are what is keeping you far from the intimacy and the nearness. It's not your brokenness. It's not your sin. It's not the things that you think are separating you. It's actually your continued games. I'll just say this. You all have become masters at playing games with God. The problem is it's a fruitless game. It's a fruitless game. You may be able to trick me, your pastor. You may be able to trick your wife. You may be able to trick your kids. You may be able to trick this church every time you come in and play the game. Once in a while, when you decide you need something. You may be able to do all these kinds of things. Listen, you think you are incredible, but man looks at the outward appearance, and God isn't even impressed by it. Man looks at You may be tricking everybody else, even yourself. And you think he is so impressed with your words, and you go, Lord, Lord, I love you, Lord. You know how to articulate. You know how to say it. You know how to worship. You know how to play the game. You know how to come in. You know how to do the bare minimum while you give your best and your whole heart to everything else. 
You are so impressed with yourself. God is looking deep into your heart. Can I just, can I just say this? Here's what wearies the Lord. And if you could use your imagination rather than trying to use your justification, maybe you would understand the reality that there is none of you that would want to be in that kind of relationship that you would confront if it was happening to you. Nobody likes someone playing games to them. And it is devastating when you're trying to confront someone's heart and they keep lying. You kind of just wish, I wish you would tell me the brutal, honest truth rather than pretending like you love me. Good morning, everybody. Notice in his weariness of their arguing, now they've done what every one of us in this room has done. Actually, God, I'm not the problem. You're the problem. We love to blame him. You're not good. You're not fair. It's the argument of going, I've seen you treat other people better than me. I wish you you just would treat me like those people you don't know very well. There's a reason you treat people you don't know very well differently. Because you don't know them very well. You treat them better than you treat me. You're not fair. Now notice what God does is he actually stops arguing. Now, here's what we think he would do in the midst of this argument. What we think he would do is go, I'm going to kill you all. I'm tired of this. Zap, you're dead. We even use these. God, oh, I'm going to step back. Lightning's coming on you. You just cussed in the house of the Lord. I'm stepping back, right? We, 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 continue to, we continue to play the religious game as if God's just up there ready to zap us. And then in this most, in this most uh, brutal of places in this covenant relationship where we think what he's going to do, fine. You're playing games. I see your heart. Zap. Dead. Why? Because we wish we could do it. The only form of justice that we understand, the only form of making this right would be killing the one who's hurting us. But in God's weariness, something happens that is so profound. He does not defend himself and say, I do too treat people fair. I do too love you. He doesn't. He starts preaching the gospel. Notice this, the gospel is rest for the wrath and weariness of God. The gospel is rest for his wrath and his weariness while at the same time it's capturing our hearts and ending our games. 
The gospel, the proclamation of the gospel does all of it. It appeases the very wrath and weariness of God while it ends our games and purifies our hearts. You see that in the text, or maybe not yet? Let's look. Look back with me. What is he? How does he answer this? In verse number one, behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare a way before me. Who is he speaking of? Well, actually, Matthew 11 uses this same quote and says, I'll tell you what Malachi is speaking of. John the Baptist is coming. And John the Baptist will come and he will prepare the way of the Lord. And notice when the Pharisees come and say, hey, uh, who are you eating locusts and honey out here doing all this crazy thing? John the Baptist starts giving him an answer. And he says something in Matthew 3 through 11. I want you to notice, I baptize you with water for repentance. But after me comes one... But after me comes one, see, I was sound effects that I added for that sound. But after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not even worthy to carry. And look what he says. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. See, John the Baptist knew there was a baptism of water, but what was coming was going to be greater than he could even accomplish. This baptism that was coming was not a baptism in water. This was a baptism in the Holy Spirit and with what? With what? With fire. Okay, all right. So he starts preaching the story, the narrative, and what else happens? Look at verse 2. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's... That's your word to say. A refiner's what? fire and he will set as a refiner the purifying of silver and he will purify the sons and he will refine them like gold notice what he's saying you ain't fair and you are not bringing judgment on the world but he says actually let me just share the gospel with you there will be one who will come who will prepare the way and what he will tell you is that the one that's coming is going to do a greater work than I could ever accomplish because Jesus is the refiner's fire. Why is this important? Because Malachi 4, when we get there, we'll preach it. But Malachi 4 says, a fire of judgment is coming. There's a difference between the fires of judgment and a refiner's fire. There's a difference between a consuming fire and a refiner's fire. Huh. You see, in the furnace of judgment, and I don't need to preach hellfire and brimstone. You see, the, the gospel preacher doesn't have to preach hellfire and brimstone. We know, if we really get honest, we know what we deserve. Unless you're still playing games. You know that what you deserve is hellfire and brimstone. You deserve the fires of judgment to come and consume and destroy and burn up. 
I don't need to preach the fires of judgment. You see, the good news is I am not a hellfire and brimstone preacher, although I love to scream. That's not me. I'm a gospel preacher. I get to proclaim the good news. But listen, what we end up doing is make the gospel just water, just cleanse, just just kind of sprinkle it on me. But John the Baptist said, look, I can baptize you in water, but the work that Jesus is going to do is actually a baptism in fire. <laughs> but Malachi does not uh, do this. You see, he's wanting, they're wanting the fires of judgment. And, and, and Jesus is, is saying, and, and God is answering by saying, listen, I will come with fires of judgment. There will be a day in which I come with the fires of judgment. But before I come with the fires of judgment, I'm coming with the refining fire. That should be good news to you, church. Because that means that Jesus is coming. This reality means that the fire of Christ, the fire of the Spirit, the fire of Jesus that is coming, is coming in a way in which he will consume the fires of judgment that we deserve. That on the cross, he will take all the fires of judgment. And if we are in him, as he is consuming the fires of judgment, picture a furnace. He's consuming the fires of judgment so that those those who are in him are not facing all the fires of judgment, but all the benefits of the fire are purifying them. The fire is not consuming them. The fire is benefiting them. You see that? By Jesus absorbing our judgment, the judgment that we deserve actually is kept from consuming us and now used to purify us. You see, what he wants to do in this is show us what the gospel does. You remember the image of the burning bush? You know, the church fathers used the burning bush image as a reality of what it meant to be on fire but not consumed by fire. You remember the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who wouldn't bow to the cultural idols and went into a fire and were in the fire but not consumed by the fire? You remember there was three that went in, but they saw four? Here's what happens to those people who will not bow down and worship the idols of culture. They will be right in the middle of the fire but not be consumed. And they will come out not even smelling like the fires of judgment, but the aroma of Christ is on them. You see, what Jesus did is he came and died, hear me as a died as us, receiving all the fires of judgment that we should have received. But he took on all that. He appeased the wrath of God. He rested the wrath of God that we deserve. His weariness, 
was put to rest. His wrath was put to rest because of what Christ had come to do as a refining fire. Now those who are in him are purified, but what are they purified for? Because the gospel is true, I don't have to argue or play games with God anymore. I'm going to say it again. Because the gospel is true, I don't have to argue or play games with him anymore. Now I can worship him wholeheartedly. I was hoping I would get two more amens. I thank you over here. But because the gospel is true, I don't have to play games with God anymore. I can worship him wholeheartedly. Notice what it says. When the refiner fire comes, here's what happens. For he will refine us with fire, and here's what will happen. He will refine the sons of Levi so they can now worship him or offer sacrifices to him with hearts of gold. Oh, here's what happens to the church. We are amidst the fires But because of the furnace of the refining fire, because we are in Christ and Christ, and we know that he can already see our hearts, we can stop playing religious games. We can stop acting like it wasn't me. And realize that because of the work of Christ, I have been refined as pure gold, and when I come to worship him, I'm not worshiping him for my righteousness. I'm worshiping him from my righteousness. That's what he just said. The Levite, the people now will be made righteous, so now they can worship him from righteousness, not for righteousness. The reason we can worship him fully is now we can stop playing games and realize because of Christ we have been made righteous so we can come to him with what he wants. We can come to him with our hearts and not our religion and our words. We can come fully exposed. You know what 1 John says? I want to remind you of this. 1 John says this. 1 John says this. There's one sin... There's one sin that God does not forgive, if you will. What is that? It's the sin of you saying you don't have sin and acting like you don't need the light. So you just pretend you're not in need. And you say, I'm good. But if you come into the light, 1 John says, here's what happens in the light. You are covered in the blood and cleansed of all sins and in fellowship with one another. Here's what happens in the light. You are fully exposed. Your heart is fully exposed, but you are fully covered. Here's what true relationship does. You can fully see the person and you can fully love the person. You don't have to hide your sins because your sins are covered 
You don't have to play games because your sins are covered. You can come into the light and go, God, you fully see my heart anyway, so I'm not going to play games with you any longer. I'm not going to act like I don't have sin. I'm going to come in and not worship for my righteousness, but I'm going to worship because I am in Christ and I'm covered by his blood and I can stand before God and worship him from a position of righteousness, not for something. I don't have to play games anymore. Here's what I hope the gospel does for you today. I pray that it frees you from playing games. Can I, can I just be honest with you? Because I love you, you all are masters at playing games. But James says, you're not fooling anybody except yourself. You think you're tricking everybody, but you're not tricking anybody but yourself. The gospel frees us from playing games with him and coming with our whole hearts before him because of what Christ has done. We are fully seen. He sees your heart. He knows your heart. He does not want your games. He wants your heart. And if he gets that heart, here's what happened. Instead of consuming it with fires of judgment, he will melt away the sin and bring forth pure gold. In his hands, he will use the fires that you think are meant to consume you, and he will use it to refine you, to make you pure gold. Before we worship together, I want to read to you Isaiah 43, 1-2, where he says there's one coming. You could read the whole thing later, but I'll, I'll just read it for you. But now, what is what the Lord says? He who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you, and I have summoned you by my name. You are mine, he says. When you pass through the waters, I will be there. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. Do you remember this part? When you walk through the fire you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. Church, here is the promise of the gospel. The fires that you are trying to protect yourself from, so you play games and you act like you're doing, are the very place that God brings you into himself and in the midst of the fire. He comes into the fire with you and covers you and surrounds you and absorbs the wrath and weariness and makes you into what it, he's refining you. Why? So that those who are looking from the rest of the world will look into the fires and go, there's another one in there with them. There's one who is protecting them and guarding them. They're coming wholeheartedly. They wouldn't bow to the idols of, of culture because they are in Christ. Here's the good news. When God gets weary of arguing with you, he stops arguing and preaches the gospel. Because I'll tell you what we need. We need the good news. We need the gospel. 
This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com.